Before couples embark on marriage, we require a number of counseling sessions, and I don't uh, usually lead those counseling sessions anymore, but uh, back when I did, I always gave one assignment, one of the assignments that I gave was, for this couple, please name all the reasons why you want to marry this person. List as, as many as you can. I would say. Now, it was fascinating to me how many couples had trouble with that, particularly the guys. The guys were the most challenged. And so often they would just answer, well, because I love her. And I would say, well, what is it about her that you love? And the number one answer I got from that was, because she's hot. Uh, which they appreciated, but not very substantive. What I was always encouraged by was when both people were able to give a long list of solid reasons why they wanted to marry each other. She's so kind to hurting people. He always keeps his word. He lives out what he believes. Things like that. If you can't give specifics about your love and your passion, and I would say your relationship is immature based on the superficial, because mature, enduring love is specific. It's not general. It's profound, not shallow, and it deepens as time goes by. And just as that is true in human love, the same holds true for a relationship with God. And I assume that the reason that many of you are here this morning is to worship God. You've come to praise Him. The question would be, why? Why are you here? Why are you worshiping Him? We're in this series called The Art of Worship, and we're studying some of the Psalms, and uh, seeing how they demonstrate and define praise and worship. And this morning we're going to focus on the fact that praise is specific. Our focus is Psalm 145. It's a psalm of praise written by Israel's King David, and it begins with these words. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. A major feature in this psalm will not be seen in your English Bible, no matter which translation you have. That's because uh, every verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There are 21 verses here. Each one begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's the, the, the language that David, the king, wrote this psalm in. And he outlined the words so that every letter was used to declare God's praise. Now, so it would be like me writing a poem and the first line starting with an A word and the second with a B word all the way to Z. Now, simply by using that form, David is telling us something about worship, and that is that God deserves total praise. The Lord is worthy from beginning to end. Another reason for starting each verse with the next letter of the alphabet was as a memory aid and uh, in the years after this was written, it became a Jewish practice to recite this psalm twice every morning and once in the evening. And some believe that this, those who repeated that three times a day would have a share in the life to come. Now that's not true, of course. Repeating something three times or 300 times a day will not get you into heaven. Memorizing the entire Bible would not earn your salvation. There's only one way to be accepted by God, and it is by putting full trust in Jesus, in his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection. That alone brings us into the family of God. But while reciting this psalm won't get you into heaven, it is how people who know they're headed for heaven are to worship. Uh, this psalm will help answer two questions. 
today. Why should you praise God and how? So why and how should you praise God? These are two questions that I want us to, to focus on. First, why should you praise God? Now obviously I won't be able to deal with all the reasons this psalm gives because David used the entire alphabet to describe it. Uh, but I want to point out three significant reasons from this psalm for praising God. So first, why should I praise God? Because He is great. He is great. Verse 1. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Now we throw around that word great a lot. We say that was a great meal or a great movie. That means we enjoyed it. When 15 years ago we said he's a great baseball player, we meant he probably uses performance enhancing drugs. That word great we throw around a lot. But this Old Testament word for great describes something that stretches beyond what you can see. It refers to things that are immense in size or they are heavy with importance. And that's why God is referred to as great. You can't take in all of who God is. Uh, his preeminence and might are beyond description. Words can't capture his greatness. Atheist Christopher Hitchens wrote a book called God is Not Great. And uh, of course, if you don't believe God exists, then there's no reason to praise him. Therefore, he's not great if he doesn't exist. But, uh, but God exists and he is the creator and sustainer of the universe from the 3,160 tons of water that pour over Niagara Falls every second to the fact that the earth spins on its axis at a speed perfect for life at about a thousand miles an hour. And the more you understand of God's greatness, the more you will worship him. In his book, Dug Down Deep, Joshua Harris tells about a girl he knew who, who shocked him with what she used to believe. She was an intelligent college student, but one day she mentioned that she had just learned that the stars in the night sky were actually really far away. And Harris said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, you know, they're not just right up there. They're not just tiny dots. They're really far away. And Harris couldn't believe it. He said, well, what did you think they were before? She said, well, I, I thought they were, you know, just right up above us. For the same reason it's worth knowing that the stars are not tiny pinpricks of light just above our heads, we need to explore the greatness of God. And when we understand this, this truth of who God is and His true character, we'll, we'll be amazed by Him. And if we don't grasp the greatness of God, then, then we won't realize how we need to worship Him. How, how worthy He is of praise. And we'll never feel small as we stare up at him if we don't understand his greatness. So why should I praise God? Because he is, he is great. The second, because he is gracious. He's gracious. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And we call people gracious when they're polite, when they're congenial, they're kind. But God's graciousness extends far beyond that, exceeds all of that. In fact, the word gracious, this word for gracious, appears 12 times in the Old Testament, and all 12 times it refers only to God. God alone is gracious in this way. It, it, what does it mean? It means to give favor that's undeserved. God is gracious because even though he has plenty of reason to be angry and to react with judgment and devastation, God is slow to anger, slow to deliver judgment. He's not dealt with me as my sin deserves. 
And when David wrote this psalm, he knew firsthand of the graciousness of God. David had committed adultery, and then he had had a man killed in order to cover up that sin. But when he was confronted, David repented, turned from his sin. And although he paid a terrible price for those sins in his family life, he did experience God's gracious forgiveness, and he testified of it over and over again, just like he does in this psalm, verse 14. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. So God is gracious to those who collapse and those who have hit rock bottom. When you're burdened by your failure and your sin, He's able to lift you up. And let me tell you, you have not hit bottom if you only feel you've made some mistakes. You won't experience God's gracious forgiveness if you aren't overwhelmed by the depths of your sin. I mentioned performance-enhancing drugs and just... uh, You might know the name Ryan Braun, who's actually in the playoffs with the Milwaukee Brewers this year. He was the National League MVP some years ago, but in 2013 he was suspended from baseball because of being suspected of using performance-enhancing drugs. Listen to Ryan Braun's apology. As I have acknowledged in the past, I am not perfect. I realize now that I've made some mistakes. I'm willing to accept the consequences of those actions. Well, baseball writer Scott Miller called Braun's apology as hollow as his character. Why? Because he didn't admit to any wrongdoing. He didn't take responsibility. And if I deal with my sin that way, it is spiritually empty. Saying you made a mistake is not what opens the door to God's graciousness. Giving excuses is not repentance. The path to gracious forgiveness is by admitting sin and taking full responsibility that's the only way to receive the gracious gift of eternal life no one is a christian who has not come clean before god admitting their complete inability to save themselves and empty of anything that deserves god's favor no one's a christian who hasn't come to that point and if you've experienced that grace you will spend the rest of your life praising the god who showered that grace upon you your heart will overflow with gratitude for the one who gave you mercy that you know you did not deserve why should you praise god because he is great because he is gracious and because he is good he is good the psalm continues with that verse 9 the lord is good to all he has compassion on all he has made now how's god good to everyone See, there are blessings God gives that are received whether people worship God or not, or acknowledge that God exists or not. Jesus said God allows the sun to rise both on the the evil and the good people on this earth. That God lets it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, Jesus said. So, So God gives us life. His breath animates us. And that's how God is good to everyone. The very organization of our universe is the work of God's goodness. and That includes the growing seasons, as David points out in verse 15. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. So recognizing the goodness of God in the normal things of life is worship. Gratitude for your daily bread the breath in your body, the the ability to work. That is all worship when you recognize God in it. Enjoying the weather when it's too wet or too hot or dry or cold or anywhere in between is worship at recognizing where God is at. One of my favorite books, The Genesee Diary, written by Henri Nouwen, uh, Nouwen, um, talks about a man, a, a godly man he met named Elias, who called rough weather good 
because it deepened his longing for God. How did it do that? Well, Elias said, when the sun is always shining, you forget that it's God's gift and you don't pay attention anymore. So it's this ability to pay attention to what's going on. Uh, When you do that in life, whatever it's at, God is good. And every day we're surrounded by a myriad of reasons to worship our Creator. Let's go to the second question. We talked about why God, uh, why we should praise God. The second question is how should we praise God? How should you do it? Um, The first reason is education. How do you praise God? Education. Uh, And by this, Uh, certainly means scripture but focus on this part verse four one generation will commend your works to another they will tell of your mighty acts see as uh, ray pritchard says the christian life it's not a marathon it's a relay race it's a relay race that somebody hands the baton to you and you run as fast as you can and then you hand it off to the next generation that's one of the purposes of the church that god's people gather to pass the baton to each other and to others outside our group to keep the gospel going. And as long as you're alive, as long as you are in your right mind, God has you here for the purpose of praising Him to generations to come. It might be your child or grandchild. It might be your neighbor. It might be a class full of young people. But it is our biblical duty to tell the next generation and to do so with passion and conviction, not dry information. The primary responsibilities we heard earlier today for educating our children is not belonging to the church but to the home the parent the church is to help in that to be an assist in that it's a necessary part of the process through the church uh, generations of believers gather together and from them you hear God exalted my daughters grew up far away from grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins but both of our daughters were surrounded by men and women who loved God and who were their spiritual family. So my girls heard and saw who Jesus was, not just from mom and dad, that was very important, but also from generations of godly people in their church family. And that's how we learn to worship. That doesn't mean we all like the same music or we appreciate the same forms of worship, but the content and direction and passion of worship is the same, and it's learned from others. So those of you who have known the Lord for decades need to pass along your faith to younger generations. Don't let the main concern be what style of music that they care about or how they they act or sit or what they wear. Uh, Your main concerns need to be that they see the passion of Jesus in you. And they hear the stories of how God has been at work in your life. Younger generations don't write off those older than you because of their worship style or preferences. Every generation will reinterpret forms of worship and ways to live out the good news of Jesus, but that doesn't make the old ways wrong or without value. So that education is how, praise God. Second is meditation. Meditation. Verse 5, they will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. So the basic meaning of that word meditate is to rehearse, to go over and over in your mind. And the idea is that the majesty of God, when you hear the testimony of God, when you hear the words of God, uh, you, you, it's something that you think about and you marinate in. and you, you let thoughts float through your brain and seep into your consciousness. And notice there's always content 
in this kind of meditation. It's not just dreamy thoughts about God, but, but about what he has done, his acts, his works. You focus on revealed truth and testimony. And the best way I've seen this at work in my life is through familiarization. Reading and hearing or repeating scripture so many times that it constantly comes to mind. Uh, and and, and that, that happens automatically with things like movies and books and comedy routines that I become so familiar with that it that something triggers them, that, that comes to mind. But that's the way it should be with the words of Scripture and the story of God's work in our lives. And as you go over and over God's Word in your mind, it provokes wonder and inquiry and transformation. And then the third part of how should we praise God is celebration. Celebration. Verse 7, they will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Uh, that word translated celebrate means to gush. It means to bubble over about the goodness of God. So how can you praise God? You let it pour out of you like a geyser in whatever form seems most appropriate. David here mentions singing. So there's this bubbling over of singing and worship and praise to God. And that is an enormous part of how worship can be expressed. That's what the psalms are. They are songs that bubble with joy or they flow with sadness. We'll talk about one of the sad psalms next week. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, thinking about this verse, said, what church is there today that can read these words without feeling at least some measure of guilt? He said, we ought to fall on our knees and plead with God to rescue us from ourselves because whether or not we like one another's preferred style of music, we need, to, we need one another to learn how to praise God the way he deserves to be praised. We, do, we need to teach each other how to praise God in the way he deserves to be praised. Now David concludes this song with more words of celebration. Verse 21, My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise His holy name forever and ever. So where does that kind of worship come from? How is celebration possible? Let me tell you that without education and without meditation, there is no real celebration. Well, there can be celebration, but it's not real, true celebration. I'll put it in these words. Worship celebration is hollow unless it flows from education and meditation on the greatness, grace, and goodness of God. That has to be the foundation of, of why we celebrate, or it's empty. A happy party atmosphere is shallow, it's superficial, it's meaningless unless it's founded on the education of who God is and the meditation of His wonders and works. You ever sit in a restaurant when all of a sudden the wait staff marches in with a, with a cake singing happy birthday or some other similar song and they're not singing it to you or anybody at your table? Now, do you sing along? Eh, probably not. Especially if it gets to the part where they might have to say the person's name. You're at a birthday party for a stranger and you don't say happy birthday. You don't know who it is. But usually, even if you're at a restaurant and you don't know the person, at the end of the song, whatever the song is, you clap politely. Yay, you're old, yeah. <laughs> now, without meditating on the, the greatness, grace, and goodness of God, that's what worship is like. It, it's like polite applause for a stranger. It's, it's half-hearted singing for someone you don't know. But when you have heard from generations before you of the glory of God's kingdom, when you've meditated on the splendor of His majesty, you will celebrate and you'll do it with passion and joy. 
Your mouth will speak praise, and you will want every creature to praise his name forever and ever. That's what it means to truly know who God is. Now let me take a final moment to, to talk about how you can apply this. A couple of practical ways to apply this truth. One way is you need to listen to some stories of other followers of Christ, especially those who have known Jesus longer than you. Uh, I know a young adult Bible class that decided they needed to honor the older folks, the older generation in their church. And so they invited, there were a couple of, of senior adult classes and they invited these two classes to come together for a dinner that the, these young adults were, were going to make for them. Now, the, these two senior adult classes were organized shortly after they had stepped out of Noah's Ark. That's how long they had been around. There's some old people there. And this is young people. And that, they, they didn't have children for the most of the part yet. They were just newly married couples. And they, and they brought them together for a dinner, made them dinner, served them dinner, and then after dinner, they all sat down and they asked the senior adults, tell us your testimony. Tell us how God's been at work in your lives. And they listened. And it was, a, by all accounts, a fantastic event. They, they held it on, uh, you know, 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon so that the folks could get back home before dark. You know, that's very, very sensible. Well, it was an intentional way to have one generation tell the next generation what God had done. You're surrounded by generations of God's people. Could you make some time to hear a story or two? It will increase your potential for worship. Another practical example is to put Scripture in your mind. The first thing I try to do in the morning when I get up is to read a portion of Scripture, even if it's just a small one, to let that be the first thing that I do. And I let that roll around in my mind throughout the day, and I'll be honest that sometimes, all too often, it rolls right back out again. But, but there are other times when it makes a profound difference in what I do and say and how I think. Or try this, something also that's worked for me. Read through a short book of the Bible every day for a month. Right, so let me give you an example. Colossians, 1 John, James. You could read each one of them 15 minutes and take you read one of those. Read, read the same, that same one. Let's say it's Colossians. You read it every day for a month. You know what's going to happen? You're going to start to know that book inside and out. And God's going to use that to speak into your life in some way. Just that 15 minutes, and your mind will be filled with specific reasons to praise and worship God. Uh, a few years ago, at a special occasion for my wife, uh, among the, the gifts that I, bought, I got her was something I made. I, I made her a little booklet I wrote that said 50 reasons why I love you. I don't know why I picked 50, it's just, you know, that was... And uh, she appreciated that. Um, just, just seeing all the things through the years that we've been married, you know, the things that we've learned about her and what I appreciate about her and why I love her. And uh, then just a couple of months ago, she presented me with a booklet, 60 Reasons Why I Love You. And I think she was just trying to outdo me. That's why the bigger number. 
And just all these specific things that, this is why I love you. Now, she probably fill a phone book with the number, this is why you irritate me, but the things why I love you is important. Our love has grown through the years as we've come to know one another, deepen in our relationship. And let me tell you that as you sing, and as you pray, and as you read Scripture, and as you listen, and as you observe, and as you think, and as you live, you discover more and more of the greatness and the grace and the goodness of God. And your love will increase. And so, get specific and praise Him. Specifically tell Him, God, this is what You have done in my life. I celebrate who You are and what You have accomplished. Praise be to Your name. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the privilege of worship today. Any one of us who has put our trust in Jesus have a myriad of reasons to praise You. Every one of us who knows Jesus should have hearts that are just overflowing, bursting. We just need to be reminded of how much you have done for us. Lord, Lord, may our worship come from that overflow of understanding more of who you are and appreciating the great love that you poured out to us first. We give you the honor that you deserve. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.